You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to Your Life is Worth Living broadcast, a program where we feature the writings and teachings of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen touched the lives of millions of souls through his books, pamphlets, and audio recordings. For a number of years, he was one of the top personalities on television and had a weekly viewing audience of close to 30 million people. It is a joy for us to share a number of these reflections with you today, and so I would encourage you to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living. It is my privilege to be your host today, and my name is Al Smith. I am the Executive Director of the Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Mission Society of Canada, and I want to thank Radio Maria for giving me the opportunity to share a few reflections with you today. It is the season of Lent, and so uh, Archbishop Sheen has an extensive library of Lenten meditations, and so we'll share a few with you on today's show. But please know that Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen spoke a great deal on the seven last words that our Lord spoke from the cross. And so we'll finish with the seventh word that our Lord spoke and those beautiful words, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And Bishop Sheen gives a beautiful reflection entitled, Do I Have Any Scars? And I think that alone uh, speaks volumes. And we will also share, uh, during the second half of our broadcast, a reflection Bishop Sheen gave on Palm Sunday. And so I encourage you now to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we read a description of Christ as the Lamb slain, as it were, from the foundation of the world. Slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, just as soon as God made the world and gave man freedom, he knew that he would have to pay the price and send his son to save us. So by intent, by plan, therefore, at the very beginning of creation, Christ is pictured as already slain. Now we come to history. Abraham is chosen as the father of the Jews. And testing his obedience, God asks him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. This is a symbol of the Heavenly Father asking his son to sacrifice himself. 
And Isaac has the wood laid upon his shoulder. And he and his father journey up to the top of the mountain where the father is prepared to offer his son in sacrifice. Isaac does not know it. Taking the wood off his shoulders as if it were a kind of a cross, he says to the father, where is the lamb? There is a lamb to be sacrificed. Abraham answered, God will provide. Just at the moment that Abraham raised his knife to slay his son, an angel stayed it, and the sacrifice was found nearby in the bushes and offered up. But that question of Isaac was caught up from the top of that mountain, and every breeze that ever blew over Israel and over Judea carried that message. And for centuries, everyone heard it. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? When Pharaoh refused to let the people of Israel go, God told them to kill a lamb and to take the blood and sprinkle it in the form of a cross over the doorposts, not on the floor because blood is sacred, it remits sin, and it is not to be walked on. And the destroying angel that would slay the firstborn of all the Egyptians, man and beast, would spare anyone that was in that house that was marked with the blood of the Lamb. The Israelites began their march, and the question was still asked, where is the Lamb? Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us that there were about 250,000 lambs offered every year by the Jewish people in the temple. Every family had to provide a lamb. If they were poor, 20 could unite and offer a lamb. But the lamb had to be sacrificed. And after this question had been wafted down through the centuries, one day, John the Baptist is preaching at the Jordan. Crowds gather to hear him, many to be baptized, as he preached the rather hard gospel of laying the axe to the root of the tree. And as he looks over his crowd, he sees one man who attracts his attention. And all the while in the desert meditations there had been this question, where is the lamb, where is the lamb? And now he looks up and he says to his people, there's the lamb! The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lamb had come. And now on this good Friday afternoon, down below the hill of Calvary in the temple of Jerusalem, one could hear the bleating of thousands of sacrificed lambs. Have you ever noticed there's been no sacrifice of a lamb since Good Friday? 
the lamb has come. And now the lamb is being sacrificed and he has completed his work. And just as planets, after a long period of time, complete their orbit and come back again to their starting point, as if to salute him who sent them on their way, so he now returns to the Father. He had been in the hands of men too long. Whenever he used that expression, it was not very complimentary. He often said that he would be delivered into the hands of men. We do not treat our Creator too gently. Now we can go into other hands. So he prepares his last words. Death is not coming to him. He goes out to meet it because he will be raised from the dead in three days. Death is the last of the shackles that he had to break. You see, we were slaves. So he became a slave. He made the Emancipation Declaration and he broke all the shackles, just symbols of them, sickness, deafness, leprosy, one shackle after another. And the one shackle that bound us and the last enemy of all was death. So now he has to snap that last cord so that he will have conquered everything that flowed from Satan. And he says his last words with a loud voice. All the Gospels note that. It was not done from weakness. It was done from power. It was the cry of victory. Father, he says first. Abba, Abba, Father. The Jews treated God with a magnificent delicacy. In fact, they would had two words for God. One word they would not use. It was too holy. When our blessed Lord came and spoke of God as being his father. The father and I are one. Can you imagine how scandalized they were? But more so when our Lord began using an Aramaic word, which is called a caritative word. It was a word that was used by children in the family for the father. Abba. That might have meant, well, daddy, something like that. But a very familiar word. Now, that's the word our Lord uses of his Father, Abba, one in nature. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. I project it. I send it out. He breathed out his spirit. This was the first of the breathings of the spirit of Christ. Upon Mary who symbolized the church, John, the disciples of the church. He breathed out his spirit. There's a rupture of a heart through a rapture of love. And we will not come to the conclusion, but we will picture the centurion. But in order to break the legs of the two who were also crucified with our Lord because no dead body 
could hang on a cross after sunset. So they smashed and hacked the legs of the others, but our blessed Lord, already having commended his spirit to the Father, his body was untouched. The lamb had to be unblemished. No bone of the lamb, Paschal lamb, could ever be broken. The prophecy is fulfilled. As the centurion now takes a sword, or a lance, and thrusts it into the side of Christ. In the first open heart surgery of the world, my dear centurion, there's an easier way to his heart than that, although we've taken the same route ourselves. Blood and water comes forth. Blood, the price of redemption, water, the symbol of our sanctification. And he makes the declaration of faith. Indeed, this is the Son of God. Now in this panorama of history, five years from now, one of the learned, most learned of the Jews, Saul, who was trained under Gamaliel, starts persecuting the church, sets out for Damascus to seize the members of Christ's body there. Now remember that Christ in this time is glorified in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And Saul, on the way to Damascus, hears a voice Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing it now? How could Christ be persecuting Saul, our Lord? Our Lord's in heaven, glorified. Saul's only touching the members of the church because the church is Christ's body, that's the reason. Church is Christ. So, if someone steps on your foot, your head complains. Saul was touching part of the church, and the head complained. Christ and the church are one. It was the Lamb that was speaking from heaven. See, John, who was at the foot of the cross at the end of his life, exiled on Patmos, now writes the last and mysterious book of Scripture, the book of Revelation, in which he pictures the coming of Christ on the last day. For there will be what John Donne calls the world's last night. And as our Lord told Caiaphas, he said, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven to render to everyone according to his works. And St. John, now having a vision of heaven and the Lamb, pictures the Lamb coming again 
on the last day to judge us. And all will see him, even those who have pierced him. He will come bearing the same scars that he showed to Thomas on hands and feet and side. Hands that broke bread to signify his own broken body. Hands that ministered bread to the starving. Hands that laid themselves on the heads of little children. Hands that touched lepers. Hands that were calloused in the carpenter's shop. Feet, feet the mother worried about as they pattered over lumber and nails and hammers and brought her visions of a man who would be put to death by his own profession. Feet that Magdalene would wash, feet before which the Syrophoenician woman threw herself in petition and love, and the scar on the heart, large enough for a hand. For our Lord said to Thomas, put your hand into my side. So when this lamb comes, bearing these sons, as it were, hands and feet and side, we will all see the scars. We will be judged by them. We will say, show me your hands. Have they been scarred from giving? Are they scarred in service? Are they scarred in labor? Are they scarred in relieving the cares of feverish brows? Have they been scarred in giving food to the hungry? For I was hungry, you gave me to eat. Show me your feet. Have they gone on missions? Have they helped missionaries? Have they gone about doing good? Have they often made a track down the middle aisle of a church to visit the Eucharistic Savior? Have they ever wandered to the feet of a crucifix? Show me your side. Is it scarred? Thank God mine is. Scarred in pain out of love for him. Has the heart been scarred in love? Not in need love, just loving only to be satisfied. Scarred in the gift love.
besides scarred from thinking about my passion and my death, that you may glory in my resurrection. This is the way you'll be judged. Hands and feet inside. Little girl said to her mother one day, Mummy, how did your hands get that way? How did you get so ugly? Oh, my dear child, when you were a little baby, a house caught fire. And I thought of only one thing. And I ran upstairs and your cradle was aflame. And I threw off all the blankets. And I pulled you out from the fire which blazed about my face and my hands. And I saved your life. That's why my hands are that way. Oh, she said, Mummy, I love your scars. So if we love our scars, seated as you are, you will recite after me as we conclude the act of contrition. Oh, my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest all of my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. But most of all, because they offend thee, my God, wert all good and deserving of all of my love, I firmly resolve, with the help of thy grace, to confess my sins to do penance and amend my life. Amen. Bye, and God love you. Hello, Radio Maria family. You're listening to Your Life is Worth Living, reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, heard here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me during this season of Lent to hear a number of reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. I want to give a shout-out and a good, honest, heartfelt thank you to our good friends at FultonSheen.com who have provided us with these quality audio recordings today. Uh, You could visit their website at www.FultonSheen.com And there is a selection of over 300 audio recordings on a number of topics. There is the famous Bishop Sheen phone app, where it is a free download to your phone, either your iPhone or an Android device, and there you can listen to Bishop Sheen on the go. And again, this is an excellent site with what I like to say a resource that everybody needs to have. And so I would encourage you to visit www.fultonsheen.com. Now, I have to apologize. I forgot to begin our program with prayer. Uh, Usually, again, it's something that I'm very good at, but today it slipped my mind. So I thought, let's pray together. Uh, A simple prayer to ask for a spiritual favor uh, through the intercession of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you alone grant us every blessing in heaven and on earth. 
through the redemptive mission of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, and by the working of the Holy Spirit. If it be according to your will, glorify your servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, by granting the favor I now request through his powerful intercession. And we make this prayer confidently through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Radio Maria family, for praying with me. And again, I promise not to forget that uh, anymore. I will always start with prayer. And uh, of course, this is our third program, so I'm allowed to make the odd mistake uh, here at the beginning of my Radio Maria career. And so let us now uh, go back to uh, listening to these beautiful reflections by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. He will now give a reflection that pertains to Palm Sunday. Remember that our blessed Lord is a hunted criminal. Orders had been given out that anyone who saw him was to report him to officials in order that he might be arrested. Incidentally, the police at an earlier period were sent out to arrest him and they refused to do so to the glory of the police. The Lord arrested them. They said, no, I never spoke as that man. The city is filled with people. Josephus, a Jewish historian, almost contemporaneous with our blessed Lord, tells us that there were about 2,700,000 people in Jerusalem for a great feast of the Passover, which is now about to take place. And everyone was watching for the Lord. What does he do? Should he hide? He sends Peter and John, very likely those two, but at any rate, two disciples into the city of Jerusalem. And he said, you will find a donkey and the foal tied together. Take the foal. If the owner says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it, and the Lord promised to return it. We never lose anything by giving to the Lord. They come into the city and they find this foal. Now remember, this is a donkey on which no one has ever ridden. Our blessed Lord mounts this young donkey. Why is it that the cowboys have never taken him as their patron saint? Can you imagine anyone riding for the first time on a wild young ass? And our Lord now boldly goes into the city of Jerusalem. The people see him. They throw their garments in front of him. Some they put upon the beast in order that he might ride more easily. They cut down the boughs of trees, carry palms and ferns, and precede him shouting, Hosanna to God in the highest. 
Praise to the Son of David. Hail the Lord. What a queer sight. Millions are claiming the Lord as he comes in on this infamous little beast. Conquerors never ride that way. They always ride on white horses, even in the book of Revelation. That's one of the symbols that is used at the coming of Christ, riding on the white horse. Remember the poem of Chesterton about the Lord mounted on that beast? He said, when fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew up on thorns, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. The monstrous head and aching cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody of all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, scourge, beat, deride me. I keep my secret still. Fool. Far off wise and proud. I too had my day. When there were shouts about my ears. And palms beneath my feet. Well the acclaim in honor of our blessed Lord was among some, just a few, the thought that maybe he's the one who will liberate us from the Romans. Because remember at that time the people were under the Romans, just as, for example, the Poles, the Albanians, and Czechoslovakians and others are under the domination of Russia. And they were looking for a political leader. But the real reason was they praised him as Lord, because this was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. O daughter of Israel, See your king cometh to you, mounted on an ass. And that ancient prophecy they had recalled and they meditated on it now. And they acclaimed him as the Lord. And some of the Pharisees nearby went to the apostles and they said, Can you not stop this noise? Why this acclaim? Our Lord said, pointing to the children. If these are quiet, even the stones will cry out. The Lord finishes the journey amidst acclaim and shouting. Oh, the ephemeral character of popularity. How little it is worth and the Lord does not think as they think. The Lord now leaves the city with his apostles, goes to the opposite hill, looks down upon the city, and what does he do? He weeps. Three times our Lord wept in his life. Once at the death of Lazarus, and once again, that we hardly ever speak of, in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
And then this time, he weeps over a city. And the apostles do not seem, as they never seem in those days, to enter into the full mystery of the Lord. And they cannot help but see the beauty of that temple on the other hill. Here it covered about 20 or 30 acres, and the front of it was all gold. In the morning sunlight, it was said that it was just like a flame. And they said to the Lord, look at those stones. Look at that building. And the Lord, with tears screaming down his eyes, said, oh, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee to myself as a hen gathers her chickens under her wing, and you would not, because you have not known the time of your visitation. In the lives of all of us, there are periods of grace, periods of judgment, periods of destruction. Our blessed Lord was weeping at the insensitivity of people would not receive him as their Lord, their Savior, their King. He was weeping because of the hardness of hearts. And that weeping over the city, he made the occasion of a prophecy. And this prophecy found in Luke and found in Matthew is so very compelling that I shall read to you the exact words of our blessed Lord. Now picture the scene, the apostles wondering why the Lord should shed tears. And the Lord said to them concerning that temple, this generation will not pass away and there will not be left a stone upon a stone. They will lay siege works against you and press you to the ground. What our Lord foresaw was the coming of the Roman army, first under Vespasian and then under Titus. And Jerusalem falling as nothing has fallen since Satan fell from heaven. Sometimes pick up the work of Josephus, whom I mentioned before, called the Jewish Wars. He was in the city when 750,000 were taken captive and about a million were killed. The destruction was so terrible some of the Roman soldiers ran out of Jerusalem when they saw the desolation. So our Lord was looking into the future, and then he made the fall of Jerusalem in the year 70, the rehearsal of the fall of the world. He spoke first of what would happen in the meantime. Between now, his time, 
and then. There would be a crescendo of evil. Do not believe those who say the world will get better and better. No. The world said, think you when I come again, I shall find faith on earth? He said his own people will be persecuted. There will be a falling away. And this is the way he describes the interval between the fall of Jerusalem and the end. And the Lord said, Take care that no one mislead you. For many will come claiming my name and saying, I am the Messiah. And many will be misled by them. Time is coming when you will hear the noise of battle near at hand and the news of battles far away. See that you are not alarmed. Such things are bound to happen. But the end is still to come, for nation will make war upon nation kingdom upon kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in many places. And with all these things, the birth pangs of a new age will begin. You will then be handed over to punishment and execution, and men of all nations will hate you for your allegiance to me. Many will fall away from the faith. They will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And as lawlessness spreads, as lawlessness spreads, Men's love for one another will grow cold. But the man who holds on to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the earth as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now he describes what John Donne has called the world's last night, which will come with great suddenness. As soon as the distress of those days is past, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give her light, the stars will fall from the skies, the celestial process powers will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign that heralds the Son of Man. All the peoples of the world will make lamentation, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven 
with great power and glory. And with a trumpet blast, he will send out his angels. And they will gather his chosen ones from the four winds and the farthest bounds of heaven on every side. And the apostle said, when? When? When will this happen? Our Lord said, watch. 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 And the day after our Lord's entrance into Jerusalem, after he had spent the night in Bethany, He goes back into the city, and he comes into the temple of Jerusalem. Now, the temple of Jerusalem was an enormous structure that was begun about 20 B.C. by Herod the Great, and was now about completed. There were various courts surrounding the inner sanctum, there was the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, and then the court of the people. In the court of the Gentiles, animals were kept, not by law, but by a practice which had recently sprung up. The five sons of Annas, who was one of the high priests of Jerusalem, had received the rights to serve the temple and to provide animals and doves and oxen and other things that were necessary for sacrifice. They brought them in to this court of the Gentiles, which was a profanation of the temple. Not only that, they began to traffic dishonestly. For example, every adorer had to pay half a shekel tax, about 25 cents. But those who were at the receipt of custom in the temple, the priests, would not accept money unless it was a shekel. But there was Roman money, Grecian money, Babylonian money, all kinds of money floating about among the Jewish people. And they would charge a five cents extra tax and then pocket it. In addition to that, poor people would bring two doves. They would say, no, they're not fit for service. You have to buy our doves, charge a higher price. Same with the cattle. No, this oxen is not fit for sacrifice. Buy ours, send yours away. Our blessed Lord comes into the temple and finds this condition. He releases the cages of the doves and lets the dove fly out, takes off some ropes from the necks of the cattle, and then overturns the table of the money changers. And he began to scourge them, to drive them out of the temple. And he said, my father's house is a house of prayer. You are making it a den of thieves. Well, this was the end of their business. Those who were corrupt in religion therefore resented it, and they challenged our Lord. 
And they said, by what authority do you do, do you do this? What right have you? Our Lord said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. Destroy this temple. Now, in the original Greek in which the Gospels are written, there are two words for temple. One is naos. Naos meant the building, the structure itself, and its architecture. Hieron meant the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle. In the original of the Gospels, which word is used? Hieron, Holy of Holies. So our blessed Lord was saying to them when they asked, by what authority do you do this? He said, destroy this holy of holies on Good Friday, and I will rebuild it on Sunday. That will be your sign. Our Lord left the temple because the people had become irreverent. In religion, it is possible for irreverence to grow. There can be a want of the sense of holy. Holy means set apart. For example, Sunday is holy. It's set apart from the rest of the week. A church is holy. It is separate and distinct from other buildings. And therefore, there is a fitting conduct for the presence of God which is being lost, which was lost in those days, which is lost in ours. Let's think of the condition, for example, which is present today, when we view the way that people dress coming to Holy Mass. They would not go to the home of a visiting duke the way they come to see the Lord God of hosts. It's easy to blame these few who trafficked in the temple. But what are the many of us who give up the signs of our dedication? For example, the nuns who would give up the sacramental sign of their dedication, or the priests who would give it up. All of these were condemned that particular day when our Lord drove them out of the temple. Then our Lord told them a story. Now this, I think, is one of the most pathetic parables that the blessed Lord ever told. Just imagine the condition. They resented everything that he did. In order to bring home to them the full mystery of what was happening, our blessed Lord said to them, there was once a king who owned a vineyard, and he rented it out. And he sent some of his servants to collect the rents. They beat the servants. He sent others. They killed them. Sent others, and they chased them away. 
And our blessed Lord then said, in the, telling the story, well, at least they will reverence my only son. So he sends his only son. He's telling the story of the heavenly father sending himself to these people. They will reverence my son. And what did they do? They killed the son saying, we'll take over his inheritance. Well, will not the king then rent out his vineyard to other peoples? And they said, oh, God forbid. In other words, we will not be the vineyard of God from this point on. God forbid. I wonder. Now, this is not easy to be proven. I just wonder. Was the future St. Paul in that audience? Paul, who became the great persecutor of the Christians, was in Jerusalem. He studied under Gamaliel. And as he studied under Gamaliel, he certainly must have heard our blessed Lord. I wonder if he said, God forbid, because St. Paul, in his writings afterwards, uses the expression 14 times, God forbid. It's only used one other time in all the scriptures. And that was when our blessed Lord told the story. I really believe that St. Paul was there and heard this touching parable. And our Lord knows that Judas has sold him and is about to betray him. And Judas, therefore, is laying plans. Our Lord now begins to thwart his plans. How does our Lord do it? He says to some of his disciples, Go into the city, and you will find a man with a water pot on his head. Ask him, where has he prepared the house for the Passover meal? The disciples went into the city. They found a man with a water pot on his head. Why did our Lord use that particular sign? Well, because men never carry water pots on their head. Women carry water pots on their head. That would be just like saying, go into the city and find a man who's carrying a pink parasol. So the disciples then found the man who had prepared the upper room. Judas, therefore, did not know where he was being led. Our Lord wanted the last meal alone with his apostles. And Judas would now have to come with him, and no one would know except the disciples who met the man with the water pot on the head. So they come into the upper room and prepare for the Passover meal. And with him now are his apostles. We are now prepared for the last supper of our blessed Lord. It is not a supper that will look to the past. It is a supper that will look to the future. Being God, 
and not man. He prepares a memorial of his death and resurrection. He would not leave the memorial of his death to the chance recollection of men. He himself would determine the precise means by which his death would be recalled. And in the next conference, we will go to the Last Supper. Dear Radio Maria family, I want to thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living, Reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. We will continue his Lenten series of reflections on the next time we get together here on Radio Maria. And so I would like to end our program with the reciting of the prayer for the canonization of Archbishop Sheen. And so please join me in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, source of all holiness, you raise up and within the church in every age men and women who serve with heroic love and dedication. You have blessed your church through the life and ministry of your faithful servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. He has written and spoken well of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, and was a true instrument of the Holy Spirit in touching the hearts of countless people. If it be according to your will, for the honor and glory of the Most Holy Trinity and for the salvation of souls, we ask you to move the church to proclaim him a saint. We ask this prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look forward to being with you next time, and so until that time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.